Hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, what do we have today, Chris? This is a, I guess I chose this, so I'll introduce it. Yeah, um, thank you. I'm, I choosing, <laughs> I'm <laughs> choosing the new films and Chris is choosing the older films. Uh, I chose Hubie Halloween, the new Sandlerverse film uh, that premiered on Netflix this last Wednesday. What's with the Why? Wednesday release? Yeah, I, I thought they were trying to bury it, but now, I mean, it's number one on it's Netflix. It's number one. So. People love it. Uh, so... <sighs> A little context here uh, in choosing the new films. It's a little bit tough because there's not new stuff coming out at the box office. Really? There's some stuff, but not a lot. And I'm not going to go see it. And you're not either. Right. So Correct. Um, we're just looking at VOD stuff like a lot of foreign films were out there. And I just like nothing really nothing really grabbed my attention. And there's nothing out there that I wanted to dive into. Uh, and I, I saw Hubie Halloween and I was like, no, we're not doing that absolutely not we're not gonna do that film and then i kept looking and looking then i was like well wait a second like if we want to have a good interesting conversation then i think people will be you know it'll be uh, entertaining to listen to and they're probably gonna watch it uh it's gonna be hubie halloween because there's so much i think there's a lot to talk about less about the film and more about like what goes on behind the scenes and what and sandler's all about i don't know there's like a deep sea to dive into here for me i don't know what did you think when i chose this film I was very uh, I, uh, nervous. <laughs> I, I thought you can't, you went off the deep end, um, <laughs> but I also I kind of resigned myself to the fact that eventually we would have to be covering an Adam Sandler Netflix yeah. movie because I know that you have a strange fascination with uh, the, not just Adam Sandler in general and like I mean fair warning uh, you're talking to two guys in their mid thirties and so we both grew up on a steady diet of Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Absolutely. And I have no yeah. regrets, yeah. but um, it, it, so many of us, myself included, have written him off uh, essentially since the uh, Netflix deal because it just seems like such a trove of bottom feeder garbage. Yeah. Um, but I know that that like the business side of this, especially with the Sony email leaks, which I'm sure you'll get into, yeah, yeah. Um, makes this for a rather interesting foray into the, the industry side of things, even if the movies themselves uh, barely qualify as interesting. Oh, no. I mean, I think, you know, Hubie Halloween is is not going to be that different than most of the stuff that he makes. It's kind of a factory over there, not Netflix. But yeah, I think that the big sort of uh, piece to bite down on here is is the industry stuff. And like, how did this happen? Like, how did Adam Sandler become... I don't know, maybe the most powerful man in like American comedy. Can I call him that? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's his movies have made billions upon billions of dollars. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, and I just think it's a it's a fascinating story to think about, especially because we are, you know, we're approaching 40. Uh, and when he was big, not only with the Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore stuff, uh, back when we were like what teenager were we teenagers like early teenagers or like like late yeah. children whatever it's like late children I, is that term? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, it was it was perfect timing i think we probably uh, had both just turned 13 yes when exactly. billy madison was released um and then obviously his snl stint which i don't know if younger people uh, do the younger people know that he was on snl and like know his stuff from snl i don't know because i'm not around children ever no, uh, but yeah. I feel like it might be lost. I don't know. Do your kids know who Adam Sandler is outside of movies? The yeah, my students kind of know Adam Sandler just as the like 
you know, stupid comedy guy. Uh, there's so few teenagers nowadays that care about SNL. If they yeah. do, it's inherited from their parents, which is kind of depressing. Yeah, that's true. And so, um, yeah, he's just had such a fascinating career. So I think, I don't know, let's, let's start out by just talking about, um, you know, Adam Sandler, like a brief overview of his career, a super brief overview, and then walking into sort of Happy Madison Productions and how that started. Uh, you know, Adam Sandler, he grew up in uh, New Hampshire, um, was kind of a weird arty kid, uh, went to, I, I didn't know this, he went to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, which kind of blows my mind because there's a very specific stereotype. Um, there's a great quote from some article. Basically, it said he wound up at NYU's Tisch School of Arts, a Caddyshack fan among the bicycle thieves types, <laughs> which I think is actually a really apt description of him to some degree. Um, so he does that, gets into comedy in New York, moves out to Los Angeles, uh, and a very sort of lucky situation here. Uh, Dennis Miller sees him uh, and says, wow, this guy's great. He recommends him to Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels brings him on as a writer in 1990. The next year he becomes a featured player on SNL. Uh, and then he does all his skits and stuff like that. And then five years later, and this is never, it's never really clear what happened to him and Chris Farley in 1995. It, it sounds like they were fired, but like they didn't know they were fired. They just mm -hmm. didn't get resigned or something. It was, he always, Lauren Michaels always sort of fires people that way where he doesn't say, Hey, you're fired. He just says, you're not coming back. Or like, he just doesn't, he doesn't resign them essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so he gets kicked off that show and that's when he starts his movie career. Uh, but he doesn't really take off in terms of his biggest two movies in that sort of early period would be um, Wedding Singer and Waterboy in 1998. And then what essentially happened then is uh, actually at the promotion for, I think, Waterboy, or, um, he meets the uh, head of Sony Studios, Amy Pascal, and they kind of hit it off. And she basically gives him Big Daddy. And that's how the relationship starts. And ba they basically says, hey, come to Sony come to our sort of studio and we'll get you set up with your own production company. And that's how happy Madison essentially started. So it's kind of a, a weird sort of, you know, super into comedy gets a lucky break on SNL and then, you know, makes a couple of big movies and then meets up with Amy Pascal. And then all of a sudden he's got this, this fiefdom that he has created over the years. Um, did you know, like, did you before looking at this stuff, did you know how closely linked he was to Sony and how important that was to his whole sort of shtick in his world? You know, only tangentially. And when those Sony leaks happened with the whole North Korea, the interview thing, um, it was I think the Sandler stuff was pretty, pretty buried in comparison it to was, a lot yeah. of the other stuff that had come up from it. And, you know, it, it was clear that obviously he this is not a guy at least back then, that really had much of wherewithal about what he was doing with this movie career, right? It was largely, you know, yeah. producer-driven um, and maybe even more writer-driven. And, it, I mean, he's got a write, writing credit on a lot of his stuff, but it ultimately seems like mostly, you know, a reputation thing. It's it, maybe he's you know, throws a few jokes the actual writer's way, but I don't see Sandler doing much of actually like hunkering over final draft. And, and maybe that's no, maybe maybe that's so. a stretch. I don't know. I, it, no, I don't think so at all. Um, so it, it really does seem like he's he's he, he had the personality, he had the fame and he just let everybody else basically do the work. And so that's how you kind of get stuck in those relationships in Hollywood. Right. Between yeah. like him and Pascal. So, 
he was yeah he was pretty much trapped and then when you know the tides turned on him i mean when where, when do you think that happened when did it uh no longer become a, a box office draw to see sandler top build i think it was jack and jill is what a lot of people trace that to which is an infamous movie uh, I think 2011, and I think it came out in 2011. Um, that's the one where he plays himself and also his sister. Uh, and then oh. Al Pacino's in that, and it's like a Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin Donuts promotion, essentially, for two hours. Um, that's when the returns... And, and also within those uh, the email leaks, there's sort of... You can tell that there was this growing rebellion against Sandler at Sony. Like, I think a lot of the employees didn't like that they were putting out this really schlocky, terrible, <laughs> yeah. lowbrow comedies. And so I think that pissed off a lot of people. And you got to remember, like, the Hollywood people is usually... Hollywood world's usually filled with creative types who, like, yeah, they're in business. And, yeah, they want to make money. But they are also went to art school. Uh, and they also have some semblance of like taste. And so like having to like uh, create this Adam Sandler factory where they're just pushing out this like lowbrow stuff just was not 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 did not excite them. And so that was building. But it was really when the financial picture started to change. So Jack and Jill did make money, but it only made money because of overseas, specifically places like Brazil. They loved it. Uh, and the <laughs> States it didn't do that well. And then after that, his movies sort of, you know, they started to he's my boy, I think, was the first movie that Sony basically said, no, we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Sandler was like, yeah, you are. And they got into a fight and then they uh, um, Sony eventually said, yes, we will do this. And then it lost money. And I think from that point on, the relationship was essentially um, soiled on some level and it was never really going to get better. Uh, Pixels did okay. Um, but it really came to a head when uh, Sandler was uh, have this ridiculous six idea, this Western movie. Uh, Sony said no, and they didn't sort of back down. They said, we're not doing this. He took that then to Paramount, and then he also took it to, I think, Warner Brothers. They all passed and said, we're not going to do this. And then Netflix came out of nowhere, essentially, and was like, we would love to do this movie. Uh, we would love to have you for multiple pictures. And that's when he signed that 2014 deal. So four movie deal with Netflix. Um, and then he just re-signed this year in January, a new form uh, four movie deal uh, worth about $300 million. <laughs> so it's just, you know, and there's in that deal and stuff in the last four years or the last four movies and stuff like that. Have you seen any of those? Have you seen ridiculous six, the, the do over murder mystery? Have <laughs> you seen a, any of those? Not a single second. And oh to be honest, God. I I haven't even seen. I mean, I'm looking at the filmography right around that time of of Jack and Jill, and uh, that's my boy. But then also like the Grown Ups movies are. Oh I've never God. seen a second of those either. But those made more money than a lot of his movies combined. And yeah. also, even a movie I completely forgot about, Blended, his third in the trilogy yes. with Drew Barrymore, was also a big hit in 2014. Yeah. And that was actually right when, uh, so Warner Brothers did that movie. So that was like him already kind of leaving Sony at that point. Gotcha. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2. Have you heard of the podcast, The Worst Idea Ever podcast? Have you heard of that? No. So their whole concept is it's two, I think it's two Australian guys. uh, And basically they said, let's watch Grown Ups 2 once a week for a year. And we'll oh, do a God. podcast about it. So they watch it 52 times. It's hilarious. Uh, it's really funny. But um, yeah, I mean, what's the last Adam Sandler movie that you've seen in the theater? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I We're going to have to date it all the way back to funny people. But that doesn't largely even count because he wasn't yeah. a producer on that. 
So I guess it was I now pronounce you Luck Chuck and Larry. Back oh, in you saw it in the theaters? What's wrong with you? It's <laughs> <laughs> clearly a lot of things. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think the last one I saw in the theaters was probably Funny People. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of all over the place for a while. 2014 is kind of an interesting year. It's funny you brought up Blended. Did you ever see The Cobbler? No, uh, that's the, the the Thomas McCarthy yeah, movie. Yeah, right? didn't so he win weird. Best Director or something, right? He did Spotlight. For Spotlight, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, <laughs> you should really check it out if you want to be like bummed out and be like, what is this? Um, but essentially, uh, you know, Sandler is just he, he's kind of all over the place, kind of on the downslope, essentially, in 2014. Then he gets this Netflix deal, has all these movies come out. Uh, what, tell the audience about Hubie Halloween. What is this movie all about? Yeah. So, I mean, what what is it about? It's essentially... <laughs> The character from The Water Boy, but yeah. as a Halloween safety patrol person? Yeah, I think that's right. And how it's, old is he supposed to be? Uh, it's hard to tell. So, like, Julie Bowen is his uh, neighborhood love interest, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's... that. That's uh, I had completely forgotten about this until I had read up on um, Hubie, but uh, that was a... That's a... What what other uh, film was she in with him? Oh, was... ha- Happy um... Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, it's it, it. I mean, it's kind of interesting that that's like a reteam, but also like Julie Bowen has grown so much more as an actor <laughs> over the years compared to Sandler. It, even if she's remained largely on the small screen, it's very strange to see like this guy in a you know perpetual Arrested Development um, next to this pretty accomplished actor uh and yet uh it really feels kind of like a low rent um like gonzo version of a modern family episode where essentially (laughs) you have like this kind of sweet natured uh family story at the center of it like community neighborhood story but then it's just chock full of like uh dick gags and um strange uh non-humor cameos that is just a basically an excuse as so many people have said before about sandler's netflix era um an excuse to basically pay his friends to like hang out and create something easy for a few weeks and maybe dodge some taxes i know you've alluded to that possibility <laughs> i can't remember where that came up it's on some podcast where they talked about it like it's, it's got to be it's maybe the uh, red letter media it might have been those guys talking about how like and it start really started around grown-ups where it was sort of like hey he he just works with the same people you know uh kevin james uh, rob schneider uh, david spade chris rock usually um steve buscemi stuff like that sometimes um and they just basically choose a really cool place to go to. He admitted to this on an interview. Uh, I was watching not the tax dodge part of it, but like <laughs> he admitted uh, at some Hubie Halloween interview that basically someone was like, hey, so you just kind of like get your friends together and just choose a place to go for a movie. And I forget where it started. It might have been blended. I forget where one of them shot in Hawaii. And he was like, yeah, I just told the studio, like, what if we did this in Hawaii? And they're like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. And he's now he's always done that. Right. And he's basically just like, hey, calls up all his friends. There's an idea. Where do you guys want to go? Let's go there. And they just convince the studio to do it because they think it's going to make money. Um, so I don't think there's like any sort of uh, nefarious, I think, uh, thing going on here. It's just like he wants to kind of have fun with his friends and make a lot of money and go to a place he wants to be at. 
Um, and that that whole and that whole concept too is I think very foreign to a lot of people, and it, it almost kind of it's a harken back to like a studio era, like a big studio era, like the '40s and '50s or something like that, where stars were that powerful. Where they could be like, oh, I'm going to go here with this group of people and make this. But back then, it was more like the producer who was saying that. And Adam uh, Sandler kind of has both roles. He's both the star and the star producer. So he has this enormous amount of power that he can throw around uh, and get other people involved. And he always tends to make movies with the same people. Like this director, right, Steve Brill, and the writer, uh, Tim Hurley, uh, they've known him for forever. And it's almost like they don't have a career without Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like that's like fascinating too. I mean, did you ever notice that like even back uh, maybe in the nineties, two thousands, that he always had the same group of people around him? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely clear. I think that I, that was actually one of probably the early forms of like crystallization of like behind the scenes uh, industry where, I don't, it, it wasn't quite the water boy. Cause I remember I saw that on my birthday and I was puking my guts out. Uh, but it was, Ooh. um, maybe little Nikki where like you're, yeah, I think it was little Nikki, which actually I'm clicking it on Wikipedia. Also directed by Steve Brill. Yeah. Dude, uh, he's everywhere. <laughs> and like, I remember watching that movie and it, and it just having this strong, just haze over it of just like, this feels like something that I would have made up with my friends like a few years ago. And I was already like 16 at the time. So it it really much felt like so little effort was put into it. And then it just made the wheels in my head start turning where it's like, oh yeah, SNL is just kind of like in, especially in that time period with Sandler and Farley had been like stereotyped as like, you know, frat boy central where it's like you party and then you show up and improvise and break on camera for an hour and a half once a week. And it, it just seemed so much like this kind of um, deconstruction in my young mind of how how little people actually cared about these things that were making hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like it. Uh, and you look back to like even you talk about SNL, the writer here, Tim, uh, Tim Hurley was uh, Adam Sandler's roommate at NYU. He ends up becoming a writer in SNL. Uh, and then after he stayed after Sandler left, uh, rose to head writer and then became eventually producer of SNL. He leaves in 99 and starts doing films. Um, you know, he did Happy Gilmore as the writer, Wedding Singer, Waterboy, Big Daddy, Little Nick, uh, Little Nick. I don't even know half these movies. Mr. Deeds. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. That, I remember. Two pixels, like <laughs> ridiculous six. It, it's just like this weird. I mean, it is very incestuous, right? Yes. Um, and but it's also. Want, it's not like, uh, I mean, because there was also, I'm also thinking about like Moment of Crystallization around the same time of seeing like Royal Tenenbaums and like thinking how, you know, Wes Anderson had a group and, but that was also seen as like an auteur thing for so many directors, right? Scorsese had a group and uh, Woody Allen had a group, um, but for whatever reason, it never like gave any kind of indication, even on a comedy level, right? Like comedy can be smart. And I also really enjoy dumb comedy. And I really think that he stuck gold a couple times in the 90s, especially with Billy Madison and The Wedding Singer. Absolutely. But uh, there is such a, I don't know, it almost feels like a free pass to be like, oh, that's something that people in the movies do. So yeah, Sandler's going to do that. And also just like that clicky nature of like the SNL 
um, cast and how it was, you know, that so many bad SNL skit, skit movies were made based off of that just, just uh, networking and connections and the, the clicky nature of that part of the industry. And so, like, what I'm curious about uh, is when you when we look at this before we get into like the release stuff, yeah. when you see them create like specifically this movie, Hubie Halloween. I mean, we there's not the destination factor. They're not going. They're going to Salem, Massachusetts. Salem, Massachusetts, the one so, and only. <laughs> so there's not really a lot of, uh, you know, I, the, t- you know, they're not. Just, he's not just getting his friends to go on a trip with him, right? Yeah. So what yeah. is the if we're going on the cynical route of just like he's doing this to do as little as possible, like yeah. is there any actual like joy in movie making happening here? We know there's not depth, but is there any actual like he there's a quote here, right, from yeah. Sandler himself where he says like his goal is to just work his ass off trying to make sure we're putting enough jokes in there and having the story make sense. Like does that is that him just like admitting to the bare minimum or is that him just saying like this is i'm a workman this is workman like this isn't like i'm trying to create something great but i'm trying the best i know how and i want to give the people what they want which is laughter is that what's going on here i i think ultimately what he's trying to do here is he's trying he's basically in no man's land right he wants to have this sort of production company he wants to give all of his friends and that group of friends has gotten massive over the years. Mm-hmm. He has a whole universe around him of super famous people as well are in this circle. He wants to sort of appease all of those people, bring them into movies. Um, he's not trying to make great art, obviously. And I right. don't think he's even trying to make stuff funny at this point. <laughs> I think he's trying to like. I don't even know what he's trying to do. Ultimately, what it feels like to me is he got into a pattern back in the late 90s mm-hmm. that was very successful. It, it was this lowbrow, you know, let's sort of hang out in the writer's room and come up with stupid stuff and we'll put it on screen and we'll do a lot of improv with my friends on set. Um, and it worked and it kept working. And what happened at Sony is that the studio system, there's a lot of stuff involved there because the, the hack happened in 2014 as well. Right. So that didn't help the relationship, but they did pass on Ridiculous Six. He did present them Ridiculous Six. No, absolutely not. And so did other studios. Right. Um, So he hit a wall in 2014, 2015, let's say, where the sort of money train was stopping and no one was going to give him uh, more money to green light his 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 movies. I think there's a great part in the Sony email leaks where he demands $200 million to make <laughs> Candyland, a live action <laughs> version of Candyland. And Sony said no. And there was a great back and forth with the Sony executives and president about this. Uh, and they basically, the, the president of Sony pictures says this explicitly, you know, he, he, they, he basically says that Adam's angry because he's no longer the guy he used to be. Yeah. And I think that um, if Sony if Netflix had not come around, I think his career would be in a completely different situation. I think he would be a lot more obviously down and out. I think he would not be making big movies with any studio. He might've gone back to comedy or TV or something like that. Um, But it just was perfect timing that Netflix came along and basically said, um, we need your type of movie, which is kind of um, uh, easily 
easy to watch, palatable, kind of dumb and entertaining, uh, does not ask anything of the audience. Because what is Netflix want at the end of the day? They want eyeballs over a certain amount of time. They don't even want to entertain you. That's like, that's not their goal. Their goal right. is to get you to stick to the screen as long as possible. Um, and net, uh, and Adam Sandler's movies were perfect for that. And Ted, whatever his name is, the head of content at Netflix said that, you know, out loud in an interview, his movies just kind of fit our, our vibe and our aesthetic. And, um, it, that, that's where it gets, that's why I find it so fascinating because these aren't movies, are they? This isn't art. Like this is <laughs> like, this is a product. Like this yeah. is like, I love comparing stuff to food because I think it's the easiest thing for people to understand. Like, what would this be if you could have any meal in the world to go out and eat, eat someplace? What restaurant would this be? Is this like a Denny's or is this like a Applebee's or like an Outback Steakhouse? Like, what is this? Because it's not art. No, no, it's it's IHOP. It's just sugar and carbs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting you, you think about that in terms of product, because essentially going back several years, especially with comedy, there's an interesting quote from Sandler where he says that when he was a kid, his favorite comedy was Abbott and Costello meet Dracula and Frankenstein, the Wolfman. And so that seems to be a reference point for him for this. But there is an interesting like distinction here where um, even though, you know, film was uh, nascent media back in that time period with the silent comedies of Charlie Chaplin and then, you know, the initial talkies of Abbott and Costello, there was still like an element of like actual skill, especially in terms of like stunt work where it, I mean, there, there's a legitimate case to be made that a lot of those early comedy stars were not just innovating and creating a whole new genre, but they were also like legit like technical proficient uh, acrobats. And yeah. you take a look at Hubie Halloween. I mean, how many times does he crash his bike and just like fall off the front? And <laughs> that's the extent of any kind of stunt work. The dialogue is lazy. It Once again, the, the voice he's using is recycled from one of his more successful films in the 90s. It just feels so lazy that it does not seem like he has reason to care because Netflix says it matches his aesthetic. And so it just kind of lives in this netherland of, uh, you know, people will put it on um, like so many people have mentioned, especially in recent years, uh, as something that they can have on the background while they fuck around on their phone. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is. That's I think that's all that Netflix wants to be. Well, it's mind blowing about it, about Sandler to me. And I think the one of the things that fascinates me most about him is that, you know, he was a very talented young comedian uh, in the stand up world. And that's how he got kind of his break with Dennis Miller and SNL. That wasn't, you know, on accident. He actually worked really hard and was very talented to do that part of it. But then he got inside sort of the palace and he mm -hmm. got the keys to every room. And then basically he can make movies for the rest of his life. And this is what he's chosen to make like Hubie Halloween. Like he has all of the power, creative power in the world. And he chooses to make films like Grown Ups 2, Hubie Halloween, Ridiculous 6. There's something infuriating about that, right? There's something that is so perplexing that you think of all of the people that struggle with their art, whether they're <laughs> music or whatever, and they would 
to do it to get a thousand dollars to make a movie would like blow somebody's mind who's like you know super into it and passionate right um and he uses all of that power to essentially make really terrible films and we'll talk about the the critical response here in a bit um it's like all of his films they hate it um and the audiences actually don't love it that much either um but we keep watching it and consuming it and it just it it is mind blowing to me that Sandler with all of that power who could be helping, you know, artists who want to make something maybe a little bit different or producing, um, you know, edgier comedy or get outside of comedy, do dramas and stuff like that. He has done a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as he probably could have. And I, that to me is what fascinates me the most about him. Like, why would he choose the path of least resistance here with all of the money and influence and power that he has? He could be, you know, nurturing young artists uh, and being, I don't know, like being more of that type of person. He just, he doesn't care. Does he? Yeah. Like I he mean, just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it just, it's mind blowing. I just don't get we, it. We would be remiss to not mention the fact that he is a proven Republican. I mean, I feel like a lot <laughs> of what you there, just yeah. mentioned like fits <laughs> that type to a T like it, it's business and it's easy business. Why? Why mess with it? He's he's comfortable. He doesn't care about anybody else. <laughs> and his buddies are comfortable. So it's, well, it's, yeah, it's it there's also that weird double edged part of it because everybody says that he's insanely loyal. That was like the one thing that came up in every the profile, of like Jennifer Aniston, Drew Barrymore, yeah. all these people like, oh, he's so he's like the most loyal guy I've ever met, blah, blah, blah. But it's almost like it's my team and then everybody else can kind of screw off mm-hmm. is kind of what it feels like. And there's a little bit of that in the Sony emails, too, where he's like. I'm going to get my guy an extra hundred K for being a producer on like right. Transylvania one or something like that. <laughs> and then like Sony's like, what? What? Do you, no, the guy didn't do anything. It's like, there's that element almost like a, I don't know, like a club or team or almost like a mm. gang type situation, which is probably <laughs> why he does so well and natural in the tremendous work he did in uncut gems, probably the pinnacle oh of his God, career. Would, and that's like, that's what makes another layer to that. He's so good in that. You're right. Like in that role, he's amazing in that role. He deserved an Oscar nom, if not the win um, for best actor that year. What was that last year? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just like, it, but I think you're that actually, it, it does add a weird layer to that then. Like is how much is he acting there? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just leaning kind of into his worst impulses. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what do the critics think about this? What do you Yeah, well, honestly, you said it was bad, but I, I would, I mean, I would have thought it would be worse. But uh, yeah. it does seem like most people agree that this is not the worst of the batch when it comes to Netflix Sandler. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, all critics got it at fifty percent. Top critics, fifty-seven percent. Somehow, um, with the average on Metacritic of fifty-three. Like that's just. That's just mediocre. Uh, I mean, maybe a little worse than mediocre. Usually you're somewhere in the 60s if you're mediocre yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. But still, like, uh, I, 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 I can't imagine that I would mark it any higher than a 20. But, yeah, I'd uh, like a 33 maybe. It's, it's, it's rough. Uh, Rotten Tomato audience score, 56. Once again, uh, even one percentage point less than the top critics. That's so, what confuses me about that, though. Why do you think... Um, audiences are a little bit more timid on this than his other movies. I think when it comes to comedies anyways, I'd imagine that just on like a base level, audiences are marking things based on how much it makes them laugh. And this is not a you know laugh out loud movie. I think I laughed once and it was just at Tim Meadows 
probably improvising in the car, <laughs> sucking on the fingers of his Halloween I love costume. that scene. Yeah. It's the only redeeming point of the entire film. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, Tim Meadows, I mean, that's a guy I wish would <laughs> also do more with his life. I don't if, get that either. Tim Meadows is, I wish you could do a whole episode on Tim Meadows. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't get that. Like, he's so funny. Mean he's Girls. So funny. Like, he's so funny. Oh, my God. Um, but um letterbox the 50 uh even with like the you know rebirth of sandler in the wake of uncut gems getting the, the film twitter types uh, all the flutter last year uh <laughs> i think that's probably a lot of uh you know holdover goodwill um there why that's not lower um if if nothing else um imdb 53 uh, metacritic audience 56 it's just straight in the middle and i think that's yeah. what he's aiming for yeah, I right think this is pretty middle. good. <laughs> pretty pretty good for yeah what he's for him. This is I think it's better than Ridiculous Six. So I think I think had a zero Rotten Tomato score. Yikes! Uh, which I did watch the entirety right when it came out. Um, <laughs> and uh, okay, so there's no box office stuff obviously because it wasn't released, but it is very popular. It was number one, although it was taken over by Bly Manor, I believe, which is Ooh. fantastic. If you haven't seen that yet, um, it's going to do quite well. You know, millions of people are going to watch it all over the world. Uh, another thing to think about too with the Netflix deal and. Um, the head of content also said this is that, you know, Adam Sandler in the United States is one thing, but actually he's bigger in Latin America. And hmm. so like that was part of their international expansion was like Adam Sandler kind of fit that mold of a, a real global star where like people down in Brazil and Argentina love him uh, perhaps even more than they do in the United States. So that's another sort of factor here to look at that. Like, you know, Netflix USA is one thing, but these things play all over the world now and they're a global company. So he's going to have a hit, I think. Uh, throughout the entire world which is exactly what netflix is looking for what about these critics i don't even i mean like the criticals <laughs> like the the positive ones i'm like what are you talking about uh, jake coil from associated press uh the jokes aren't often sandler's best material but hubie halloween is as sweet and easily digestible as a milky way yeah, I, I mean, is that you should be fired as a critic for writing that? <laughs> like, that's not an actual statement, right? No, I, I I had to mention that that like did the the way I don't know if all the Netflix Sandler movies are edited and shot this way, but it's just it just it makes me sick. Like maybe I ate you know a Milky Way in one bite <laughs> um, at age thirty six, but it, it really like it's just ugly it just does not feel good it's like i mentioned it feels like low rent sitcom style but even like a low rent sitcom has doesn't have like the insane pacing issues that some of the cuts and weird uh like sound mixing that this movie had it and it it, it, those aren't the things that usually you know bug me but it just felt so i don't know it just like really distorted in a way that did not feel organic at all and no, it's, it's just know. it's shoddy and low rent the whole thing yeah uh, on the flip of that i really <laughs> like jesse hasenge's review from uh right. AV Club. it's a really good review it's yeah. really good uh he says uh did adam sandler invent the netflix aesthetic not the auteur driven cinema that produced award-winning movies like irishman marriage story blah 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 but and this is really where i think he knits the uh, hits the nail on his head uh the haze of half-assed streaming content caught somewhere between the intersection of movies, TV, and time-killing YouTube videos that defines much of the company's output. And I never really thought about comparing it to yeah. YouTube videos, but Me that too. kind of yeah. explains a lot of like those quick cuts that just are feel really gross and jarring, as well as just the kind of like, it almost feels like a YouTube production, like a high-end, like, 
they're using promotional merchandise going back to like his roots of the Dunkin Donuts uh, oh, <laughs> branding in Jack and Jill. Like, yeah, it, it really does. It feels more like uh, a weird like unboxing commercial and all you get inside are lukewarm jokes and it's it's too bad. Yeah, and I love the kind of the end of that review from the AV Club. Uh, yet there's something half satisfying and pacifying yes. about Hubie Halloween. In true content blurry Netflix fashion, Sandler has essentially made a likable children's movie to babysit undemanding adults. And it's like, I mean, like perfect bullseye. Uh, because what's funny is I actually watched this movie twice. Um, <laughs> Why? I watched it once just to sort of get it and watch it again. And that there is a sort of um, there is really a pacifying element to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's non-content content. It is definitely something that if you're working on a spreadsheet for work, you could put it on your other screen and like watch it, but not really see anything. <laughs> uh, and it like it just it just keeps your attention enough so you don't get bored doing the spreadsheet is basically what it is. Um and, you know, I don't know. It's He's got four more movies coming up with Netflix. He's not going away. The Sandler verse is here to stay for forever. Um, and it's just I just find it to be one of the more bizarre and fascinating elements of the movie production business. Now that you got this guy in an era where stars aren't supposed to be important, but you got this guy who's a star, like a super producer and almost, you know, head of a production studio here. Uh, he's just kind of an anomaly. Uh, and then he could have won best actor last year easily uh, for a role in an art, like a super arty film. Um, he's just all over the place. So I'm going to write a book on him. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and, and then he said, I think that that's uh, one of the things people keep uh, grimacing and waiting for is when he didn't get a nomination for Uncut Gems. He said he was going to um, <laughs> unleash the worst movie ever made on the public. And people were, you know, thinking it might be Hubie, but Hubie was mostly filmed before, before uh, the, yeah. last year's Oscars. Um, so, uh, so maybe that's what he'll be uh, diving into next. <laughs> it's possible. I always the thing that I always come back to is like I always try to get to like the bottom of why a person is doing what they're doing. Like, why is he making these terrible films over and over again? And like, I always go back to like, him getting fired in SNL. I feel like something happened when he got fired. He's just doing this entire thing out of spite, Mm -hmm. almost to like prove to the rest of the world and everybody else that no, I am the most powerful man in comedy, not Lauren Michaels. (laughs) It's a wrench plot, the whole thing. (laughs) Um, In any event, uh, if you want to have, if you want to be mollified, I think that's the right term, uh, watch Hubie Halloween. Uh, (laughs) It is boring, uh, childish. I don't even know. I can't recommend it. Would you recommend it? No. Oh, right? hell no. No. And not even for kids. It had a, had a weird middle ground no, where it didn't really seem like it was for kids. Like the shirts that uh, June Squibb was wearing. Uh, it's like, what? Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a there's a dick joke in the opening scene. And it's just it is this this weird space where um it's not trying hard enough to shock you. But it's also doesn't have any interest in being family friendly. Oh, man. It's a tax dodge, isn't it? Um, in any event, uh, what is coming up next week? It is next your selection. Week, my selection for an old movie that is new to streaming. I'm super excited about it because I don't think I've seen it since um, I was watching uh, my sister's uh, HBO subscription back in 97 or so. It's the 25th anniversary of Roger Donaldson's sci-fi horror schlockfest Species, starring Natasha Henstridge. Force Whitaker and many others. It's new to streaming on 
Amazon Prime Video this month, and it'll be a good uh, tie-in for maybe, I would argue, one of the more underrated uh, choices for Halloween viewing that uh, I would uh, highly recommend to everybody before you check out our episode next week. It is one of my favorite films from that era. I absolutely love Species. It is definitely a schlock fest. So definitely listen to that. Thanks for listening today. This has been Film Trace. Film Trace.